On today's episode of Locked On Suns, what are the best possible moves to nail this Suns offseason? Trade, signings, coach, all of it. Next. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen. To close out your week, happy Friday. Hit follow or subscribe wherever you're finding us to get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. We're free and available on all podcast platforms, so become an everyday or get locked on to your favorite team each and every weekday by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're finding us. Today's show is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Drop me a comment with your thoughts if you're on YouTube. Maybe tweet me at LockedOnPHXSuns of what you think the best case scenario is for the Suns offseason. And I want this to be interactive, and I want to start there. I'm starting there purposefully because, uh, look, this is not the type of show that I typically do. I think last offseason we knew it it was likely to be primarily a lot of continuity. We knew the DeAndre Ayton question was there, and then we got the Kevin Durant trade request, Atomic Bomb, dropped on all of us out of nowhere in July, uh, June 30th. But it wasn't really a question of what really was going to happen. It was just a few moves that we knew needed to happen, and, and we talked about them. The previous summer, even less so. You know, they were coming off a finals appearance, and, you know, it was like, all right, is... Bridges and Aiton going to get their extensions, but we know that's not really until the fall. What types of free agents might they get? They probably need a backup center. Here's some options. And that was that. This summer is humongous. This summer is going to define the next two to three years of Suns basketball, if not longer, when you think about everything that is at stake. Chris Paul trade, DeAndre Ayton trade, not even just what the trade is, but do you even do the deal in the first place? Obviously, the coaching seat is yet to be filled and we know that the entirety of the bench needs to be filled out. Sounds simple? Obviously not so much. So what I'm doing today is giving you my best case scenario, and that's important too. It's not what I think will happen. It is not even necessarily the most realistic moves. I'm intentionally going a little bit overboard toward, you know, if this, then that. Here's how this move makes sense in a variety of ways. It checks multiple boxes. It's not just, all right, let's find something to go out and get this move done that'll just satisfy the Suns front office and and they can breathe easy. No, I want it to be the best case scenario. So I'll emphasize that one more time, but let's dive in. So head coach is first, right? Uh, We don't know who the head coach will be. Obviously, you know that as things currently stand, the finalists that we believe are in place, you've heard me talk about Kevin Young plenty. But if we're still in this gray area of not exactly knowing who that coach will be, maybe by the time you hear this, it'll be a little bit outdated if they do go ahead and and name that guy on Friday morning. But it's Ty Lue. That's the best case. They would need to get a trade uh, done for Ty Lue. So 
I have trade your 2024 and 2026 second round picks for to the Los Angeles Clippers for Tyron Lue to become the next head coach of your team. Move number one. The Suns have their second round picks in large part, um, and so they can trade those. Now, as I've gone through in the past, a first round pick is also a common thing to move, so I don't know if that would get it done. I don't think Lou is a real candidate, but in the spirit of best case scenario, that's what I have. Let's get to the, the first big one, the DeAndre Ayton trade. I went through, and I'm going to tell you guys, I did a ton of prep for this, all right? Like, I, I'm sitting here uh, with cleanintheglass.com open, which is a great service, and they have a salary cap sheet that you can mess with, and I have 12 moves done here. And that's just the final 12. I went back and forth with several different iterations of some of this stuff as well, but that's where I'm at. And so I went through the whole league <clears throat> on the Aiton side of things, and I looked at Atlanta. I looked at, um, what are the, I looked at New Orleans. I looked really close at Toronto, but the fact that they just traded a first-round pick for Jakob Pertl I just couldn't convince myself that even in a best-case scenario that Toronto would then be trading even more stuff to go ahead and get DeAndre Ayton. I looked at Chicago pretty closely. They are likely to, you know, they have at least an opportunity to move on from Nikola Vucevic, who is obviously their center. But again, the salaries just don't line up. Lonzo Ball being a question mark to ever play in this league again, unfortunately, just made it very hard. There's not really a deal unless you're looking at DeMar DeRozan. I didn't love that. I personally do not see that as the best case scenario. I don't think DeMar brings what this team needs. He's very, very duplicative with what Durant and Booker are already great at. So even though he's the best player that I thought about here, um, I just didn't think of that being a best case scenario. Here's the last one that I cut. And I actually, it was such a close call for me that I even have it next to, uh, I have it on my planning sheet as something I was going back and forth, which one am I going to finally pick? But the one that I cut last was to uh, Aiton and Payne or Aiton and Shamit, whichever way, to Dallas for Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, and JaVale McGee. Version of this trade has been thrown out there already. I think I've even talked about it on this show. It reduces the payroll by like four to seven million dollars, depending on who uh, is going out between Payne versus Shamit. Um, it requires the Mavericks to be all in, you know, to, to make yet another trade with uh, their best asset player-wise, which is Josh Green. Um, you know, maybe there's a version of this trade where the Suns could even get a first-round pick out of Dallas, and that would obviously be an even more all-in type of move, but we don't know what they're doing with Kyrie Irving. We don't know how all-in they will actually be, and even from a, even if you can convince yourself that it's a possibility, from an all-in, or from a best-case scenario standpoint, I just didn't like that deal as much, and I couldn't find a way from a player standpoint to get it to be quite as good, primarily when it came to guards. I think Tim Hardaway Jr., between the injuries and the fact that he's now over 30, I just don't have a lot of hope that he can get back to a playoff impact type of player. Last season was really not strong for him. I know it was his first year back, but you can't bet on that. Josh Green is not quite a guard in the way of handling the ball and being a knockdown shooter that you would really want. He's more of a defensive player and an off-ball scorer, offensive guy. Not quite ready for it, to me to be what the Suns need him to be. And so where I came down is 
the Charlotte Hornets. And I'm a little skeptical on whether the Hornets would actually do a deal like this because they just extended Nick Richards, who's their uh, backup center or starting center, maybe, we don't know. And they have a guy named Mark Williams out of Duke who they drafted last year. This will be season two for him. And I think he's a really high ceiling, interesting, athletic, young big that they should be giving uh, time to. But um, we know the Hornets are changing ownership. We know that they're under a little bit of pressure to take a step forward. They've been bad for a while. LaMelo Ball is heading toward, you know, restricted free agency and everything else. So I could see it happening. And so the deal that I have is DeAndre Ayton and Landry Shamit to Charlotte for Terry Rozier, Cody Martin, the brother of the playoff breakout, Caleb Martin, and a future top 10 protected first round pick. So I like this deal for a few reasons. One, it reduces the payroll by almost $12 million, which is really nice when you think about the future and even staying under that second apron that the new collective bargaining agreement has, which the Suns are probably not going to hit this season, but even just avoiding it and prepping yourself to be under it in the future is all good stuff to be doing. Terry Rozier, to me, is a playoff-ready guard. Yes, he's small, but we'll talk about later some other options that I'm going to build into this roster with that in mind. But nevertheless, he has been in the playoffs multiple times. He can shoot, he can play with the ball, and he's a veteran. I think Martin is just some wing depth. He had a knee injury last year, TBD what he's going to be. And then that pick is really big, you know, a team where you can get a player who, who can play for you in the playoffs in Rozier and potentially a first-round pick. Maybe it's Payne instead of Shamit. Maybe it's a, a lottery-protected pick instead of a top 10. We don't ever know what the exact specifics are going to be, but I like that deal a lot. I think it's realistic enough, and I think it's a very nice scenario where the Suns then get another first-round pick that they can trade or eventually use, as well as Rozier. They save some money and they move on from DeAndre Ayton by rolling over multiple assets, which is the number one thing I want to do with the DeAndre Ayton trade. I want to only move him if I'm getting players back who I trust and I'm getting multiple assets back, not just one for one. You know, a trade like, you know, Ayton for DeMar DeRozan as an example, not getting the job done because then you're actually getting a worse asset overall, even if you're getting a better player. You want to get a good good player or good players and multiple assets that you can then continue to use to build this team. That trade does that. The next trade I have also does that. We'll get into Chris Paul and what is staring down the Suns in the CP3 sweepstakes. Is it even a sweepstakes as well as the NBA draft? Next, first today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network and they have an even better offer than they've been having. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs where new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Money's moving on the Denver Nuggets, or I'm sorry, on the Miami Heat, ladies and gentlemen. I believe they, uh, oh, it's back up to nine. It was at eight and a half for a moment. It's teetering. Looks like some late money on the Heat. They have playoff props for player stats. They have uh, exact game length and winner. All the great stuff related to the NBA Finals. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action in basketball than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel is an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
All right, DeAndre into the Charlotte Hornets. Ty Lewis, head coach. I'm already liking where this offseason is. That makes sense because I made it up in my head, and I told you it was the best-case scenario, but I'm going to pump myself up regardless. Let's get to Chris Paul. I looked at less teams here, if I'm being completely honest with you, um, because I'm just not sure the amount of money that Chris Paul is going to make it was hard for me to find teams that really would want a young guard who could really afford to make a trade like this without giving up stuff that they like. You know, um, like, could you do a Pistons deal? I mean, I know Monty's there now, which is kind of funny, but, you know, in, in, a, in a vacuum, regardless of the Monty part of it, you know, Chris Paul for, like, Bogdanovich, I, I suppose. There's a Kelly Olynyk in there. And Corey Joseph, like, I just, that's not really going to get it done for the Suns. Um, the Pelicans, I thought about, you know, could you get back Valanchunas now that Aiton is, you know, quote-unquote gone? Like, Larry Nance, they're just quite, not quite enough salaries again with that team. I just didn't see uh, a deal. The Spurs, I thought about, but again, it's, it's just not a lot of salary available here. Could you do Devontae Graham and Doug McDermott? Sure, but that's not enough, you know? And so this trade that I came up with, the Los Angeles Clippers are the, recip the recipient of, of Paul here in my best case, Chris Paul trade. It's the one that I went back and forth the most on in terms of, is it realistic? Is it fair? And I'm not, I'm still not sure if it is, but the deal that I came up with is Chris Paul to the Clippers for Norm Powell and Robert Covington. Now, you could switch in Powell for Eric Gordon. You could switch in Coving uh, Powell for Marcus Morris. You could switch Covington for Batum. And I think any of those sort of work. The money is about even. The version with Powell and Covington saves the Suns about a million dollars. I would not personally really want to do the deal if it ended up being Marcus Morris, but if it was like Gordon and Batum even, or Gordon and Covington... Okay, I, I think that's perfectly fine. I think that we saw up close in Phoenix the fact that these veterans on the Clippers can still make an impact. Maybe not so much Morris. I don't know. The injury seems to affect him, and he doesn't play a winning style of basketball. Uh, he just doesn't, doesn't do that. So not him. But any of the other guys, I think they can still make an impact, and I think they're worth it. And I think on the Clippers' side, obviously this deal would be predicated upon them moving on from Russell Westbrook. But if he got other offers or they didn't think that was the right direction for their team to move in, then, uh, you know, or if he just wanted more money than they wanted to give him, whatever the case is, then you could imagine them trying to consolidate some of the depth that they have because I think it's not unreasonable to say that the Clippers have actually too much depth. They don't, they're not able to form a playoff rotation that they can trust or know who's going to play, partially because their superstars are always hurt, but also. It's just hard to rely on. You have Luke Kennard, who is really, really solid with the Grizzlies the minute he gets there, but couldn't even play for the, for the Clippers. I mean, that is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. So you could see them saying, okay, if we could, get, if we could switch out two of these vets who are in and out of our rotation anyway for Chris Paul, who also doesn't have a lot of money or time left on his contract, all things considered, and fills a need for us, which is a table-setting type of player for our shooters, for our big big men, and for our star wings, then that would help our team. Just 
gain a more clear identity and a clear one through eight, one through nine, one through 10 rotation. I think you could see it happening. So, and the reason I actually pick Powell, even though he's obviously the best player out of these guys, is he's already 30 years old and he's under contract for three more seasons when he's the only guy under a, a guaranteed contract for them in the 2025-26 season. And he's one of only four players who has a guaranteed contract uh, going into next season, 24-25. So if they see a future where they just want to restart completely, then trading Powell now when his value is, is at the highest and maybe you know it helps you get a thing a deal done for somebody like Chris Paul, I can see it. On the Suns side, it's a no-brainer. I mean, again, any of these guys would be playing for the Suns around Booker and Durant in the playoffs, whether you're talking about Gordon, Powell, or Covington, or Batum. I think all of those guys give you different options in terms of shooting, secondary scoring, and defensive versatility. That's what the Clippers are all about. So getting any of their players, you're going to be inheriting a good portion of that. So to recap, we have now traded DeAndre Ayton, Landry Shamit, and Chris Paul for Terry Rozier, Norm Powell, Robert Covington, Cody Martin, and a future top 10 protected first round pick now Covington would be a free agent and uh, I believe let me see Terry Rozier is under contract for three more seasons so they're adding a lot of future salary um, that's that's one of the other things that these deals are doing that's part of why I think the other teams might actually be interested in doing it you have now uh, a pretty much a whole rotation under contract next season and the following season if you're the Phoenix Suns but they're all good players and they're all vets and they all can fill roles for you let's go to the draft I'm not going to sit here and pretend with you that I know much of anything about any of the guys outside the top five to 10 in the draft, because I knew the Suns weren't going to be picking there for sure. And then obviously in February that they weren't going to have a pick at all in the first round, but they do have the number two, number 52 overall pick in the second round. And so I wanted to at least throw that out there because that is part of the off season. We've heard them link to Imani Bates, who they apparently are bringing in for a workout. I personally don't think Bates is a is a smart uh, bet to take if you're Phoenix right now because, one, you don't have a G League team this season, so he's just going to be behind the scenes. Not that I think there's no way to develop players that way, but if he's not going to be able to break in and actually play minutes in the NBA and he's not, not going to play in the G League, I think truly what this dude needs is just time on the court with a good infrastructure around him because he didn't play much at Memphis. He played a, a style that was solely predicated around him at Eastern Michigan. He's still very young. The high school stuff was also very much centered on him. He just needs to play in a good environment. And if you can't give him that, you shouldn't take him. So I don't have him there, but I have an upside pick and a ready-made pick. And this is just from like an hour of reading through online scouting reports, looking at their stats, etc. I do have a type. I was doing this draft stuff back when the Suns were bad on this show and on, uh, you know, written stuff. So I know my stuff at the draft. I just don't know the players. Upside, Terquavion Smith from NC State. He is a, you know, solid shooting combo guard at a high volume who improved his playmaking, his finishing, his foul drawing in his sophomore year. He's only 20, but he's shown improvement at the college level at an, you know, an ACC level and, you know, fits what the Suns would need, which is guard depth, shooting, you know, high IQ, all that stuff. My ready-made guy is Ben Shepard 
who I believe is a Belmont prospect, 3 and D wing, who seems pretty NBA-ready from everything that I could see, everything I found to read about him. He's 22 years old. I think both of these guys are somewhere between, you know, 35 to 55, depending on whose big board you're looking at. I know that's always subject to change. We know guys slip. We know guys get reached for. The Suns at 52 are kind of not going to have their pick of the best guys by any means. They're, they're very late in the second round, but I could see either of these guys slipping to 52 from what I read. Either one, I think, would represent two different types of prospects, but both guys that I think would be good value that I would feel good at for what I think the Suns need. Value deals. How do the Suns use their taxpayer mid-level exception? Who do they use their minimum signings on? And what is the final rotation from my grand experiment of the best-case Phoenix Suns offseason? I'll tell you all of that after one more break. Taxpayer mid-level exception in the NBA this season is going to be around $7 million. None of that gets super-duper 100% finalized until the very end of the finals because some of it is dependent upon the revenue that the league gets from the finals. So if the Nuggets sweep the Heat, for instance, then there's less money to go around because there were fewer games. But we know the ballpark, which is $7 million, that's kind of a lot of money, uh, all things considered. You know what I mean? That's more than campaign made this year, for instance, to put that into perspective. That's more than Torrey Craig made this year. Um, and so you're, you're able to sign some decent players and give some guys a raise even, despite obviously not being able to get. You're not, you're not going to sign somebody who is a multi-year proven role player starter caliber player on a good team, great team with that money. And so I have two guys that I put here because I think one of them actually does fall into that proven role player uh, mold, but he's a little bit of a wild card. And then one of them is an older guy who I think, you know, you might not see teams wanting to bet on. The two guys are Gabe Vincent, the Miami Heat, who's about to be the starting point guard on a finals team. And Josh Richardson, who was on the Spurs to start the year, played really well, made his threes, and then actually went over to New Orleans <clears throat> at the trade deadline for four second-round picks. And he kind of picked up where he left off and had a pretty solid year in New Orleans, was closing games for them down the stretch. I believe he closed the play-in game. Um, and so I think either one would be solid. I think either one is sort of in the range of a guy you could get there. Maybe Vincent goes higher. I don't really think Josh Richardson will. Maybe you want to go big man. I went big man at the minimum versus big man with the taxpayer mid-level. I'm always more likely to spend on guards and wings if, if, if it's my brain than uh, a center, especially a backup center. I mean, he could be a starting center, this guy that we're signing here, but that's my mentality. And so obviously Gabe Vincent is the best, best case scenario, but if that's unrealistic, if he just com comes back to the heat because of, you know, the familiarity and comfort, they took a chance on him, they developed him. He knows his role there. He knows he can succeed. I could see that. So then Richardson. I I know Vincent is a little bit of a smaller guard, which Rogier is already on the Suns in this uh, made-up environment. So maybe that makes you go Richardson. Either way, I'm going to go two years at the taxpayer mid-level, which is about two years, 14.4, with the Rays in the second season. And that's my probably backup guard, third guard, um, between those two guys. Mason Plumley at the minimum, is my next signing. And he's actually the final uh, external signing that I'm making in this exercise. 
uh, and I'll tell you what I mean by that in a second, but Mason Plumlee is basically the only guy that I could find where I feel like he's uh, somebody who could start for you. Maybe he's not a 35-minute starter, but as we go through this, you'll see that there's going to be other options. Maybe he's a 20 to 25-minute starting caliber player who you could actually get at the minimum because there's guys like Nas Reed. I mean, he's not really a center, but but Nas Reed or, you know, whatever where, yes, they're, they're available, um, but you're not getting them at the minimum. Whereas being that Mason Plumley is in, he's 33, um, you're, you could see him just saying, I want to go to a winner. If I'm going to play and I might have a chance to win, I will take a smaller salary. The other guys here are like Nikola Vucevic, Jakob Pertl, Christian Wood. I don't think any of those guys are taking the minimum, obviously. And then the guys who are taking the minimum, I don't see as starting center, starting caliber players. Dwight Powell, probably not a starter. You know, Andre Drummond, Thomas Bryant. I liked Paul Reed. I thought about him. I thought about Jackson Hayes, who I've mentioned on the show before as maybe a minimum option, but they're both restricted free agents, which means one, they might end up making more than the minimum. Two, uh, you don't really have the same flexibility to sign them. Um, and so you don't usually see exceptions get used on restricted free agents. I'm not even sure how the mechanics of that work. So that's where I went. What I will say, I didn't think this was realistic enough to include it here, but if we're talking Best, best case scenario with, the, I guess, I'm adding an extra best to illustrate my point now. Brooke Lopez. Can whoever is representing the Suns this offseason make a pitch to Brooke Lopez? You are 35. You've made lots of money in your career. You are 15 years in. You have the championship, but, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to win another one, you know? Um, and convince him to come to Phoenix. I'm looking at his career earnings. $172 million this man has made in his NBA career. All right, he got the one big deal from the Brooklyn Nets. He got another big deal from the Milwaukee Bucks, and he's 35. If you could get him at the minimum and have that be the, the attraction of the Phoenix market and playing with Booker and Durant and competing for a championship... He's, I mean, that would be perfect. I mean, the exact type of value that Al Horford has been able to have for the Celtics where he's not too humble to play, you know, small minutes if he needs to. He's a big body to throw at your Embiid or your Jokic or whatever, and he can space the floor for the stars and make good decisions, be a good teammate, all that stuff. Brooke Lopez would be perfect. I do think the Bucks might be wanting to move on from him, rearrange how their defense works, especially considering they're changing coaches. We don't know what they're going to look like. That feels possible, but not likely. And so I didn't put it there. But Plumlee is a good backup option uh, if, if you can't pull off a coup with Lopez. Let's rifle through the uh, other end of the bench guys here. Um, re-signing Darius Baisley on a one plus one, so one year guaranteed, second year team option at around three million felt right to me. You know, he's still a very young player. He's coming off of a... He's a restricted free agent, so you could imagine another team trying to get him, so you're not going to give him a minimum, but maybe something a little above his minimum. That's almost double his minimum if you get him at three. So whatever. If, if it doesn't work, if another team gives him an offer sheet or something, no harm, no foul, get rid of him. Uh, I'm not even sure how exactly it'll all work if the Suns extend him the qualifying offer because it's like 12 or $13 million. 
I don't know if that really hampers them from anything, but if, if I'm, you know, I could imagine a world where they just say, we're not even giving, we're not even making you a restricted free agent. Maybe that actually makes it easier to bring him back on the minimum. I don't know, but I think he's worth taking the chance on. Resign beyond Baisley. Craig, Lee, Warren, Landale, and Akogi all at the minimum. I know that might sound crazy. I know those are a lot of the guys that we just saw try and fail in the playoffs, but in my ideal world, in this best case scenario, those guys aren't even really going to be uh, necessarily playing a lot um, based on the refigured rotation. Now, I think Akogi would, I think Landale would, but those guys are probably minimum players anyway, unless someone was super thrilled by what they get, saw from Akogi. But by the end of the playoffs, Akogi wasn't even really in the rotation, so it's hard for me to say that somebody's going to go bowl, bowl over the Suns with a big offer for him. If you give him all these guys a little bit of a raise over what they were making last year, or in the case of like Craig, uh, he's not going to get a raise because he was making way too much money. Maybe he's just back to a minimum. He's in his you know 30s now. I think all those guys in lesser roles than what they were playing this year are still good to have around. Craig has been here for a long time now. You know, um, Landale is your backup center in my world, in my exercise here. TJ Warren didn't really get to prove himself last year. If you can get him on a minimum deal, he could really pop for you. I think those are all guys that you should try to bring that hometown discount, that familiarity, and just say, hey, come back. We'll pay you what we can, and we'll give you the comfort and the role that that you deserve. Um, I think Lee is probably the one I would value the least. So if you don't get to keep him, maybe he goes back to the Warriors or something, so be it, move on. He is close with Durant, though. We'll see. The final rotation, and this sounds so silly. I know, like, this is exactly why these exercises are funny, and, like, you know, I'm going to look back on this in a month and be like, or a month and a half and just feel like an idiot, but it's fun, and I don't think it's crazy. Again, I, I try to pick realistic stuff that maybe was a little bit, again, best-case scenario, but not not insane. I didn't say, hey, uh, you should trade DeAndre Ayton for uh, Steph Curry. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm doing what I think could really happen. So, final rotation. Rozier, Booker, Vincent, Payne. On the guard, at the guard spot, at the wing spot, Powell, Okogi, Craig, Martin, Cody Martin, and Damian Lee. Norm Powell, when I said Powell, I think you know who I'm talking about. Forward, Kevin Durant, Robert Covington, TJ Warren, Darius Baisley, and then big man, I have Mason Plumley and Jock Landale. Now, imagine a closing playoff lineup for the Suns where you have either the option to have Covington and Durant kind of be like a small ball big man tandem or you just have Plumlee or Landale. And then above them, you have Durant, let's say Powell, Okogi, and Booker. Or you have Rogier, Powell, or Rogier, Booker, Powell, Durant, Plumlee. Or you have Vincent, Booker, Powell, Durant, Plumlee. Or Vincent, Booker, Okogi, Durant, Covington. Like that feels a lot better. Sign your second round pick to a two way contract, roll that 15 man uh, roster out. And then you still have the potential that, you know, maybe TJ Warren, Darius Baisley, Cody Martin break out in an even bigger way. And, and then you have even more depth. Um, that's where I would be shooting. Try to get two for one types of assets back in the Paul and Aiton trades. Spend all of your taxpayer mid-level on one proven playoff rotation player. Get a get your back, your replacement center at a minimum contract, along with Jock Landale. Some of this hinges on the Covington part, so I guess if you don't get another small ball center option with 
these other moves you're making. Maybe you do try to spend a little bit more money. Maybe you try to throw your whole taxpayer mid-level at somebody like Brooke Lopez and then get a minimum guard or something like that. Those are the types of ways that I would go about this. I think this is reasonable, realistic, and, and would make them a lot better. It's very much easier said than done. That'll wrap us up for the week. That was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm proud of the work I put in there. So hopefully it's not too crazy, not too hard to follow. I'll talk to you guys Monday with Brandon Duenas. In the meantime, go check out Locked On NBA. Wall-to-wall coverage of the NBA Finals. Off-season coming up, coaching moves, all of it. That show's available on all podcast platforms just like this one. And I'll catch you guys on Monday.